we're in Welcome to the Sermon Podcast for Restoration Nazarene Church, where we encourage you to be the gospel today so that you can share the gospel tomorrow. This letter, we're in Philippians 4, starting in verse 10. It says, I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. And I have received full payment and have more than enough. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent me. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice pleasing to God. And my God will meet your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Philippians. That is the, the end of Philippians. And this, um, I mentioned this when we started that Philippians was one of my favorite parts, one of my favorite letters, one of my favorite books of the New Testament. But I think after going through this, this may be the favorite of mine from the New Testament. Even up to the very conclusion, the very end, the the goodbye, as you will, Paul still adds in so much teaching from just this final goodbye, friends. And, And there are two verses that as we read through that, that I assume stuck out to you. If, if not both, at least one of them. Verse 19, and my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. Verse 12, I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. Because who doesn't want to receive riches? I mean, be honest. Who does not want to receive riches? Raise your hand if you do not want to receive riches. I didn't think so. And who doesn't want to know the secret to life? I feel like people will do crazy things for money and the same for secrets because a secret is really a piece of knowledge or or information that you do not yet know. And so people will do anything to seek that knowledge or seek that that money that they say, I'm not saying this, I'm saying that they, whoever you want to define they as, they say that money can buy anything. They also say that that knowledge is power, especially when you keep that knowledge to yourself as a secret. You are the only one that knows that knowledge. You are now in control. You have power. And here Paul is saying, 
I know the secret and I know the way to receive riches. Who wouldn't be interested in those? But before we can fully understand the secrets that Paul has, we must first understand the context. We talk about this all the time. The context is extremely important. And the context of this passage seems to be about money. He tells them how to receive the riches from God, but at the same time, as he's doing that, he also seems to be thanking them for their financial support. However, he does it in a very awkward way. He never flat out says, thank you for your support. It seems rather awkward when you're reading it. You you read this in verse 10, I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at last, finally, you renewed your concern for me. Verse 11, I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I've learned to be content. 15b, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. But then again in 17, he says, not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. I I read that and it just feels awkward. And the topic of money is often an awkward thing to, to talk about. Like Paul really wants to say thank you, but for some reason he can't. And that is exactly the reason why he doesn't, because he can't say thank you. In this culture, in this time, a clear thank you would have meant two things. First, Paul would have now been obligated to return the favor to them in a tangible gift. Do you know anybody that doesn't like receiving gifts because it now automatically means that they now need to return that gift? There's someone in the church that decided not to come today, but he knows who he is and he's watching online this morning. And he always tells me about this social contract of of when you receive a gift, you now have this obligation to return the favor. It adds all this extra pressure to a friendship, especially when it feels that it needs to be of equal value. If somebody gives you something that's worth $100, you can't say thank you by giving them something that's a dollar in return. Now you have to match it, and now it just feels a bit awkward. It's this weird social contract. And then the second thing is that it would now suggest that their friendship And the reason that he wrote this letter was for gaining financial support, which is not what Paul is actually writing about. So he very carefully says how he is rejoicing, how he is grateful for their support while making sure not to enter into that social contract with them that would destroy their spiritual growth and and their focus as a new church. And so through this very careful and strategic thank you, Paul gets to his teaching, verse 11 and 12. He says, I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances, and I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. Here's the key. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. From a human standpoint, Paul did actually have needs. He says he doesn't have needs, but from a human standpoint, he did have needs because he was in prison. 
And prisons back then, they were known for making sure that you did not have what you needed to survive. They were not known for giving you all the nutritional needs that you need to survive, making sure that you have clothes to stay warm in the winter. They were known for making sure that you are suffering, that you only had enough. So Paul, as a prisoner, did in fact have needs. He needed to eat. He needed clothes. And so he did have these needs. However, Paul says that he was not personally needy because he has learned to be content. He says he knows what it means to have absolutely nothing. And Paul also knows what it means to have have plenty, have more than you need. And in all those situations, he has learned the secret of being content. He's saying, I have experienced everything you can possibly imagine, and I know the secret. Whether I have nothing and I'm starving, I can be content. Whether I have more than I have or, or more than enough, I can be content. Have you ever met somebody that is content in all situations, no matter what life throws at them, they just can't seem to be knocked down. They are just happy. They are just content. They, they, they can't get angry. They, they don't get scared in life circumstances. They're just like, oh, okay, I'll roll with the punches and I'll keep going. That is what Paul is talking about. He knows the secret of being content. And then he shares that secret with them and with us, which is found in verse 13. He says, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Other translations that you might know or have heard before is, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Raise your hand if you've heard that before. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. A lot of people take that verse out of context. That's one of the favorite verses, that and Jeremiah 29, 11. Anybody know Jeremiah 29, 11? For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, right? These two, I feel like, are, are some of the most quoted from the Bible and most taken out of context. Because if you take it out of context, you, you can see it applied as the motto for a sports team. Or people will pray this right before an interview, right before a big test. Father, give me the strength because I know I can do all things through you who gives me strength. I can do this. And out of context, when you just read that verse by itself, it seems to suggest that we can do whatever we want to because Christ gives us strength. Meaning I could walk outside right now to the parking lot and I could lift up a car from the parking lot over my head because Christ gives me strength. If Christ is all powerful and he gives me that strength, I can then do that. Or we could say that I can win the lottery because Christ gives me the strength to win the lottery. And yes, it is possible that God can work through those things. It is possible that God could give us the strength to do this. We know that in the story of Samson, God can, in fact, do those things. Yes, God can work through all things. Yes, God can give you the strength you need to do whatever it is that he wants you to do. But it's not necessarily something that we do. It's not talking about our own strength. It's not necessarily this, this skill 
that we have mastered. And that's what Paul is talking about. He says, I have learned the secret to be content. And that secret has nothing to do with me. It has nothing to do with me learning how to control all of my emotions, learning how to be this great stoic. It has nothing to do with me mastering this this art or mastering this skill, but rather, he says, the source of strength comes from Jesus. What Paul is saying is that, that, that he and we can be content and focused on Christ in all situations. In times that we have plenty, we can be focused on Christ. In times that we don't have what we need, we can be focused on Christ and we can be content. We can be happy. We can, we can feel a sense of peace because of Christ who strengthens us. In other words, Paul is saying that, that we, he, the Philippian church, and us today, that we can get through all situations through Christ who strengthens us. Meaning that, that we can overcome all temptations through Christ who gives us strength. We can overcome all persecutions, all hardships, whatever difficult situation we are going through because Christ is with us and strengthens us. It is not that we can accomplish whatever we want to. It is not a superpower, but rather that we can get through all situations with Christ because the power and source is not us, but Jesus. Paul is saying that because of his relationship with Christ, because he is in Christ, Christ will help him overcome all situations. And the context of this entire letter, as we wrap up this whole letter, we can see the context of this letter, that this, this secret, this ability is possible when we live our lives for Christ, when we desire more of Jesus, when we are focused more on Jesus, and when we live our lives worthy of the gospel. In other words, if we put this in order, when we live our lives within God's will, when we live according to God's perfect and pleasing and good will, when we live a life focused on Jesus, focused on loving God and loving others, then when we do those things, then we can experience this secret of being content because Jesus is with us as our source. And we can see this theme throughout the entire letter. Remember that, that, that we, we talked about this, how we turn to God in our times of anxiety and what are we promised in return? The peace of Christ, this power, this source, the peace of Christ that goes beyond our understanding. Last week when, when we put in to practice what we have learned, Paul says that we receive the God of peace. And when we focus on Jesus, we can receive the power of Christ that allows us to be content in all situations. Raise your hand if you have a cell phone or a computer or something that needs to be charged? Do you own anything in your house? I guess we could say cars now that need to be charged. Do you own something that, that, that runs on some type of a battery, right? So we, we know this concept of charging our device 
And once it reaches that magical number of 100, we unplug it and then we can enjoy hours of power when we are no longer, be, uh, when it's not charging, the battery continues. But eventually what happens to the battery? It dies. Eventually the battery dies. And there are some batteries that, that even lose power as the strength of the battery dies. I used to have a power drill that had a horrible battery in it and it started off great and I could drill anything that I needed to. But then as the battery died, it lost its strength. I could tell, oh, the battery is dying because I can't do anything with this drill like I am supposed to do. When we try to live our life Apart from Christ, we are like a battery that is slowly being depleted. And I think most people, I guess I can't say most, but I think there are several people, several self-proclaiming Christians that live life this way. They treat Sunday as a recharging station where they can come, be recharged so that they can go out. Or they come on Easter and Christmas to recharge. And on one level, that is part of why we gather for church on Sundays. That is part of it. We do come together in person so that we can receive encouragement and a strengthening and a guiding so that we can, in a way, charge our batteries. That is part of what's going on so that we can then get sent back out into the world on our mission to share Jesus. But on the other hand, we can also find encouragement, strengthening, and guidance directly from Jesus every day of the week. When we live our life apart from Christ throughout the week, our battery is slowly depleted. But when we live our life in Jesus, when we live this life connected directly to the power source that is Christ, where we are receiving a constant charge, a constant power, we can now continue on. We can experience this idea of being content because we are connected to the source. We don't have to go through anybody or through anything. We can be connected directly to Jesus. And that's what Paul is saying. He says, I know the secret to staying charged. I know the secret to being content and happy. And the secret is focusing on Jesus, who is our source of strength. But at the same time, Paul uses the language of, I have learned what it means to be content, which means that it is a learned attitude or a learned behavior. He says this in verse 12, that he has learned the secret. And this, this word learned is the same thing we looked at last week when, when Paul says to put into practice everything you have learned, meaning that we do need to put it into practice why would we need to do that? Because it is so easy to get distracted. It is so easy to want to disconnect from the charger and run off in a different direction for a little while because we say, I'm good. I've got enough charge to last me while I go off in this direction, knowing that I can always return back to Jesus and plug in my charger and be good. But what happens is we run down this way for a little while and then we slowly start to be depleted. We, we feel destroyed. We, we feel disconnected from the source that is Jesus. 
Jesus. And this takes some practice. It takes learning of how to stay connected to the charger. But as we practice it, what we will realize is that the charger can go with us. We are not limited to only receiving Jesus in one location, but yet we can bring him with us. We can stay connected to Jesus in all of our situations, wherever we are going. And as we continue to follow Jesus, wherever he leads us, while also staying connected to the charger that is always giving us power, we can now experience the secrets of being content, of being happy. No matter if we are going through a hard situation or an easy situation, we can be content. And then after giving us this secret, this this truth of being connected to Jesus to find the ability to be content, he gets to this idea of receiving riches, 17 through 19. Paul says, not that I desire your gifts, what I desire is that more be credited to your account. I have received full payment and have more than enough. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. That is a wonderful name, Epaphroditus. They, these gifts, are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice pleasing to God, and my God will meet all your names according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. Paul's desire as he writes, in addition to him desiring Jesus in his own life, he desires that more would be credited to their account. But the question is more of what? What is being accredited and what account are we talking about? It's a metaphor. Think of a bank account, like receiving money back. Money has been credited into your bank account or receiving interest on a loan or cash back rewards from using our credit card. As the, this is what Paul is saying, that, that as they gave financially to Paul, or to the church, they will now receive something back into their account. But again, I started this way. We need to be careful that we do not take things out of context because this is one of those phrases or these verses that is often taken out of context. Unfortunately, there are preachers that exist out there that are known for teaching that if you give to the church, then God will return that money to you plus more. Your cup will overflow with because you gave to the church. They call this the prosperity gospel and it encourages people to give more money and more money and more money so that you can then receive something in return. And this teaching is false. It is not true. Do not believe it. Do not follow it. If you hear somebody saying that, you run in the opposite direction. If I ever say anything close to that, you have permission to walk up here and slap me in the face and say, stop it. Get over it. Because it is not true. Paul Paul is talking about what happens. And this, this teaching, when we look at it, God does not promise us that what we will receive in return is a financial gift. Now, let me be careful here. Sometimes he does. 
Sometimes he does give us back a financial gift. I could give you several stories of times in my own life and other people's lives of where they gave something and then magically the exact same amount was returned back to them from another source. I could tell you several stories of times where God does do that, but that is not what God is promising to do. And in this passage, what Paul is saying is he's using this metaphor to say that we do indeed receive something back, but we receive it into our heavenly account. It's not a return of physical money. Instead, we are receiving a spiritual benefit. And this changes everything. It's a small difference, but it's a huge difference because it means that that we are not giving with a motive of receiving money in return. We are not giving out a loan to people where God will then repay it back plus interest. Instead, we give in order to experience more of Christ, which is our goal in life, or at least it should be our goal. And we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. As we express our love for Christ, we then experience that love of Christ which allows us to be more enriched by the experience of the love. And as we are enriched by it, as it fills us more up, we now want to express it once again. And as we express it, we are then reminded of it or we experience it, which then allows us to be enriched again. And it is this constant cycle. And Paul is very careful to say here, verse 19, and my God will meet All your needs, highlight that word needs, according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. He does not say that God will will meet all of your wants, not all of your desires, but rather what we actually need. I would add in here, and when we need it, not before, not later, but when we need and what we need. And he does not say that we will receive riches, but rather we will receive what we need according to the riches in Christ Jesus. And from this entire letter of Philippians, we know that what they need is to find this, this secret of being content in the face of all types of adversity, that, that they would be steadfast in the midst of opposition and suffering, that they would experience joy and peace as an answer to our anxiety, that they would experience a purity in a crooked and broken world. Paul says it this way in verse 18. He says these gifts that he's talking about, they are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice pleasing to God. These words, if, if we are reading our Bibles, they should sound familiar. They should, they should make us think about Romans 12, 1 and 2, which is, therefore, I urge you. Paul is writing this same letter. He's writing to the Roman church, Romans 12, 1 and 2. Paul says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Here it is, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. In this letter, Romans, in Romans, Paul is saying that first, 
We offer our bodies, our lives, our entire being as a sacrifice. That sacrifice is holy and pleasing to God. It is true worship. We talk about worship and we often think about the songs that we sing, but Paul is stating that our true form of worship is offering our bodies in a surrender, not necessarily just just giving up on things and saying, okay, I will give up my time on Sunday mornings, but Jesus, I offer my entire life to you. You fully surrender. You fully allow Jesus to come in and purify you that leads to this big church word we talk about sanctification, where we are sanctified into holiness. And then Paul says the same thing in Philippians, that their giving was an acceptable sacrifice pleasing to God. The first thing is that we offer ourselves as this sacrifice. The second thing that Paul says in Romans is, is as we offer ourselves, as we do this, as we surrender, we are now avoiding the ways of the world And as we surrender, as we avoid what the world is telling us to do, we will now be transformed by the renewing of our mind, meaning that Christ is now transforming us, which gives us this ability to test and approve God's will. How many of you have ever said, I want to know what God's plan is for my life? You've ever wondered, God, what are you doing? What is it that you want me to learn from this? Do you want me to go this way or this way? Paul tells you right here, if you want that ability, if you want to know what God's will is, all you have to do is surrender yourself. And that special ability, that power will be given to you to be able to know and test what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Surrendering gives us that power to do that. In other words, this is Paul's main message. As we focus on Christ, as we focus on the cross, the empty cross, the power of Jesus who was resurrected from the grave, as we focus on Jesus, as we give our lives to Jesus, as we surrender everything, and as we put that into practice, meaning that that we are sacrificing ourselves every day. Jesus tells us to daily pick up our cross and carry it to follow after him. So as we daily, every single day, practice surrendering to Jesus, we will then receive the power of Christ to experience peace in times of anxiety, to experience contentment in times of trouble, and to gain the ability to know what God's will is. That is Paul's message. As we close out this letter, let me try and put all of this together. The entire Philippians letter chapters one through four, all of this together. And as I mentioned verses, they won't be on the screen, but you can write them down or flip through them as I go there. And we're starting in chapter one of Philippians, chapter one, verses nine through 11. Paul starts off by stating that his prayer, his desire for the people, for the church, for the Philippian church, which then also means us today. Paul's desire is that their love may abound, abound meaning that it would grow. And this love is both for Jesus and for others. Paul's main desire is that people would love Jesus more and love others more. And as their love for Jesus and others grow, they would be able to discern what is best. 
And as they discern what is best, they are also filled with the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of righteousness, which we know happens when they offer their lives to Jesus. In other words, we sacrifice our body in a way to love God, love others. As we do those things, we now are able to understand what God's will is for us. And then we are filled with the fruit of the Spirit. The Spirit fills us and renews us. Paul's own desire, as he tells us, is that he may personally gain more of Christ and that he desires everyone else to gain more of Christ as well. And then he tells us how that happens. He said, this is your goal, gain more of Christ and have a desire for other people to know Christ as well. Focus on this, this is what is good. And then he tells us how we do all of this. And it's that concept that I mentioned before where we express it. And as we express our love for Jesus, we then experience it. We are reminded, especially as we sing these worship songs, we say, God, you are good. You are a miracle worker. We express what we are thinking, what our heart says and knows to be true. And then we are reminded, oh yes, God, you are a miracle worker. I I experienced this miracle in this time in my life, God. Thank you for reminding me. And now you experience that again. And as you experience it, it fills you back up and now you are enriched again. And as you are filled more up, all you want to do now is express it again, which means you experience more. And then you are enriched more by it. And then Paul says that that as we do those things, we also need to live our lives worthy of the gospel. And worthy does not mean that we ourselves are worthy, but rather that we live like Jesus, who in chapter 2, 6 through 11, Paul walks through his life of how he humbled himself down from heaven to the form of a slave in order to serve and save us. And that we all, the church, should, in verse 5 of chapter 2, we should have the same mindset of Christ Jesus, meaning that we should humble ourselves in the same way. Verses 3 and 4 of chapter 2, Paul says, in humility, Value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interest of others. As we live our lives for Jesus and like Jesus, following his examples, we keep our eyes focused on him. And as we focus on him, we don't have to live in anxiety. Instead, in all situations, we can find comfort and strength in Christ, who brings us peace and joy and contentment, which then, as we do that, allows us to know what God's will is, meaning that that we know what to do and when to do it, allowing us to, to further follow God and experience more of his goodness. And when we experience it, we are enriched by it, which causes us to express more of it. It follows this cycle. The secret of this entire letter, I could even go far to say is the entire Bible, is the entire New Testament, the secret of this entire letter is to focus on Jesus in all situations. It is that simple. Anything you're going through, hard or good, if you focus on Jesus, that's all you have to do. Everything else will follow. As we love Jesus enough, to submit to him. And as we love Jesus enough to serve others and point others to him as well, we are now focusing on Christ. And Paul mentions that that we can do this. 
It's not hard. Even though we go through hardships, we can do this. We can stay focused on Christ because Christ strengthens us. Because it's not about us, but it's about him. That is the entire message here that Paul tells us. Focus on Jesus. Focus on serving others. Everything else will happen as long as you every single day do this. You will stay connected to the source of Jesus. You will be content. You will be happy. You will find joy. You will find strength to overcome whatever obstacle may come your way. You don't have to worry about anxiety because you can experience a peace and a joy that will guard your heart forever. But it does require an action on our part. It does require us to put it into practice. It requires us to choose Jesus and run toward him. It requires us to desire to want more of Jesus. I can't make anybody want something. And I'm learning this to be true as I'm walking with various people at different stages where, where they do not want to follow Jesus. And I've been trying to understand why and what it breaks down to is they don't want to. And I can't make them want to other than by praying for them that God would change their desire, change their want so that they would want Jesus. But it comes down to that. It is up to us to want more of Jesus, to desire more of Jesus. And as we desire more of Jesus, we will then live like Jesus, which we know to live like Jesus means that, that we will desire others to know Jesus, that we will serve others, that, that we will get off our high horse sometimes and remain humbled enough to care for people around us. Now, can you imagine if we all actually lived this way? Can you imagine if we all actually surrendered completely to Jesus? I've personally experienced what happens in your life when you surrender. And let me be careful here. We don't surrender to receive something in return. It is not our motive. We surrender because we love Christ. But as Paul says, as we do this, as we give, something is credited back to our heavenly spiritual account. As we give our entire selves as true form of worship, we receive something far better than we can ever experience. And I struggle to even explain what that is like. But I also know other people who have gone through the exact same thing. Again, the church word that we call this is sanctification, where, where regardless of where you are in your spiritual journey, you devote your entire life to Jesus. You offer that up to him and something powerful happens and it is exciting. You can't help but smile. Raise your hand if you've seen that in somebody before. Yes, you know what I am talking about. It is hard to explain until you have experienced it yourself. Paul is calling us to follow Jesus, to live like Jesus, to experience it for ourselves. And when we do, our entire lives are forever changed. And so are the lives of the people around you because it's exciting and it is contagious. And so I ask again, can you imagine if we all did this, if we all surrendered, if we all said, yes, Jesus, you have my everything. And in that true act of worship where we, we don't hold anything back, where we say, yes, God, you can have every part of me except for this little thing that I'm going to hide and hold on to. But 
but instead we offered everything. And then Jesus comes into us and he fills us and we get this new excitement, this new power that is now contagious. Can you imagine if, if the people in this room, we are a small church, can you imagine if the few of us did that? We would be even mightier than we already are. But it requires us to surrender, to serve, and to share. Or as we say at Restoration, it requires us to be and share the gospel. May we as a church be the gospel today, be the hands and feet of Jesus, live like Jesus today so that we would have an opportunity to share the good news of Jesus tomorrow. If you are ready to surrender, to serve and to share, now is the time to start. Let's pray. Father, I am ready. I'm ready to surrender again. Give me the strength to surrender each and every day. Give me the focus to, to wake up in the morning and say, Jesus, today is your day. I will, suit, I will serve you. God, you know the situations of everybody gathered in this place. You know what people are going through online. You know what the community is going through. You know more than we do. And yet I ask for you to move in a good way, to move in a big way, in a powerful way, to convict us, to challenge us, to give us the courage to accept it. Father, I'm excited for what you can do. I'm excited for what you are doing that I can't even see yet. And I'm excited for what you will do in the future. Father, this morning as we are gathered here, may we surrender and serve and share your goodness with everybody that we come in contact with. Father, we pray all of this in your name. Amen. As we close out, this service, I figured there's no better way to end this letter of Philippians than by reading the benediction that Paul gives us. It'll be on the screen, verse 23. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. We would love to continue the conversation and connect with you. Comment, like, subscribe, follow us on the socials at rnaschurch or our website, rnaz.church.